Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You have fallen into Event Horizon with John Michael Godier. today's episode, John is joined by Avi Loeb. Avi Loeb is the former chair of the Astronomy Department at Harvard University, founding director of Harvard's Black Hole Initiative and director of the Institute for Theory and Computation at the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. He also chairs the board on physics and astronomy at the National Academies and the advisory board for the Breakthrough Starshot Project. He is a member of the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology. Loeb is the best-selling author of Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. Attention! One of this show's goals is to understand data. That usually relates to science, but the same philosophy applies with investing. Recently, I became aware of statistics about an investment that surprised even me. The prices of contemporary art. Yes, I mean physical paintings outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% from 1995 to 2021. Now we're not saying to only invest in art and completely ignore stocks and other investments, but the numbers make an argument for adding this type of art to your portfolio. Quite compelling. That's why you should check out Masterworks. They're the revolutionary fintech company making multi-million dollar paintings investable. And they make art investing super easy. The Masterworks research team analyzes over 60,000 data points to find financially attractive works by them and file them with the SEC. Then let you invest in shares representing an investment in that painting. 
rather ingenious. You can take advantage now by investing in fine art and immediately start investing in this blue chip art by clicking the link below or by going to masterworks.art forward slash event horizon. And when you do, you directly help to support this channel. Now, over to John. Now, biases and fear. We live in a situation where there is a taboo against the discussion of alien life. And this taboo ranges from SETI. Remember, a, a certain U.S. senator was able to get SETI defunded by NASA. And now NASA is back interested, but they actually had to rename it and say, not SETI, but looking for techno signatures. And it took that renaming and two decades of rethink to even get it back on the table. And then when you get into the UAP phenomenon, the taboo is much worse because there you have people making, as they say, extraordinary claims, but they may not be. For all we know, we are part of a population of alien civilizations in the Milky Way. And that's actually a scientific thing to say because we always look for a population. But in this case, people are very, very resistant to it. And I know you have <laughs> met much resistance in, in looking into this. So my question is this. Do you think there is a deep-seated fear of finding an alien civilization so close? Well, I think it all stems from our ego, the resistance to this idea. Because when I teach my freshman seminar at Harvard, the first thing I tell the students is in the class that is that half of them are below the median. That's a statistical fact. The median is defined such that half of the people are below it. That's the definition. Now they have a hard time accepting it because they all feel that they belong to the top few percent. My point is it's very likely that we as a technological civilization is somewhere in the middle of this bell-shaped distribution of technological civilizations in terms of our accomplishments. You know, we, we are probably not the smartest kid on the block. And we should recognize that possibility. We should be modest. You know, the one thing I learned over decades of practicing astronomy is that the universe teaches us to be modest, to be curious in terms of trying to figure out where we came from, and to be calm because all of our ambitions of getting honors here on Earth, they are meaningless in the big scheme of things. Before we are born and after we die, we basically need nothing from nobody. We don't need anything. And we go back to this peaceful state that the rest of the universe is in. We are very small players in that play. First of all, we are not at the center of the stage. Second, this play has been going on for 13.8 billion years. We just came at the end. And we live for very, a very short time. You know, that there used to be this tradition um, for the Romans where the leader was celebrated after winning an important battle. That he had a slave behind his back telling him, don't forget that you are mortal so that he will not be uh, too impressed by the excesses of the celebration. And that's something we should always keep in mind. You know, we, we live for such a short time. Let's focus on substance. Let's not focus on how many likes we get on Twitter, how many honors we, we get, 
whether we demonstrate that we are smart and whether we gain the appreciation of other people. That's really irrelevant. What really matters is addressing our curiosity. And if you ask kids, what is the question that excites them? You know, are we alone in the universe? Are we the smartest kids in, on, the, on the cosmic block? You know, that excites everyone. And somehow when these kids become adults, they push it aside, they ridicule the subject as if we are not supposed to discuss it. Now, the problem with that is it's a circular argument because if you don't fund the search, if you are not checking through your window whether you have neighbors, you will never find them. If you are, for another way to think of this is the solar system is just like a mailbox. You know, we may have packages in the mailbox, but if we say, no, there is probably nothing in the mailbox, we shouldn't even check it, we, we shouldn't walk to the mailbox, then you will never find the extraordinary evidence that everyone is quoting. Everyone is quoting Carl Sagan. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And guess what? Nobody has the time to search or to fund the search for extraordinary evidence. So then it's a very lazy proposition to say, oh, I don't have extraordinary evidence, therefore I should not even check it. I should not even fund it. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And when scientists say, we don't have extraordinary evidence, therefore we shouldn't discuss it, that's exactly the opposite attitude to what it's supposed to be. If we see something anomalous, like on Oumuamua, or we hear about UAP, which the government talks about, the most conservative organization, that should intrigue scientists to say, okay, we want now to get to collect scientific evidence that will clarify what we are talking about, whether these are really unusual objects or whether they are natural objects that we haven't understood until now. Let's just collect the data. People in the public care about it. The government cares about it. How can the scientific community ridicule the subject? To me, it's exactly the opposite proposition to what we are supposed to follow. And uh, just think about Fermi's paradox. Again, another thing that everyone uh, is mentioning, Fermi's paradox was formulated 70 years ago by Enrico Fermi, who went to lunch with colleagues at Los Alamos and said, we all think that there might be extraterrestrials, but we don't see them. So where is everybody? Now, this is very presumptuous. It's like someone you know, sitting on the sofa at home and saying, I don't hear a knock on my door, therefore I don't have neighbors. Well, you have to ask the question, how frequently is someone knocking on your door? You know, like you could have neighbors with nobody knocking on your door. The recorded history on earth is just 10,000 years old. And that's one million of the age of the earth. So what's the chance that just when Enrico Fermi is asking the question, someone would appear and show up just during the last century in a way that Enrico Fermi would recognize. The point is, they may show up with vehicles that are smaller than the size of a football field. In that case, no telescope on Earth could have recognized them if they passed within the distance of the Earth from the Sun. So the first telescope that was able to, to recognize an object that is the size of a football field passing within the orbit of the Earth around the Sun, is pan stars. And guess what? After a couple of years of surveying the sky, it found Oumuamua. And there might be objects much smaller than Oumuamua that we haven't found yet. They're passing through our fishing net, and they're smaller than the holes in the fishing net. So the whole purpose of the Galileo project is 
to say, let's, let's collect the, the evidence that would allow us to break loose of these shackles that we put upon ourselves. That by, by claiming we need extraordinary evidence and not searching for the evidence, you know, that's a very lazy proposition. Let's, let's be proactive. Let's try and find the evidence. And by the way, we've been searching for the nature of dark matter for 40 years We invested hundreds of millions of dollars. That was a search in the dark for specific types of dark matter, most of the matter in the universe. We don't know what it is after 40 years. And now if we, are, if we will start now to search for technological equipment from extraterrestrial civilizations near Earth, and we will invest hundreds of millions of dollars in the search, and we will find nothing for 40 years, we will be exactly at the same point as dark matter searches are right now. So how can dark matter search be part of the mainstream of science, whereas the search for technological equipment is ridiculed, given the fact that we witnessed Oumuamua? That is something I cannot understand. There are a couple things to point out here. First of all, dark matter, as it's described, we, we see gravity. We see its effects on large-scale structures of galaxies. But ultimately, it's a claim of invisible material something you can't see that can pass through walls and basically not interact any way except gravitationally. But that's quite a wild claim when you really get down to it, the practicality of it. And since we can't see any real indicator of it other than gravity, it could just simply be that we have a bad understanding of gravity and we already know that. We already know that we have a, a very, very woefully incomplete understanding of gravity. Yeah, that, that is definitely a possibility that we should keep in mind until we find a particle that uh, we've never recognized. And my point is, you know, that's a search in the dark. And uh, we were willing to search in the dark for four years in this context. In the case of Oumuamua, we saw an object that is unusual and everyone poo-pooed, ridiculed the possibility that it may represent a technological relic. And my point is, a year ago, In September 2020, there was another object discovered by the same telescope in Hawaii, PANSTARS, that uh, shared the same qualities as Oumuamua. It exhibited an excess push away from the sun by reflecting sunlight, and it had no cometary tail, so it couldn't have been the rocket effect that is pushing it. And it was given the name 2020SO. And then a few weeks later, the astronomers who discovered it realized by extrapolating the trajectory back in time, that it actually came from Earth. It was a rocket booster that was launched in 1966, and it had thin walls. And what that demonstrates is that we can tell the difference between a rock and an artificial object by the way it moves. And that's what we did in the case of Oumuamua, and that's what we did with 2020SO. And the second point to keep in mind is an object can be thin, not because it's a sail. This rocket booster was not designed to be a sail, uh, sailing on light. It was just thin for a different purpose. And the same may be true about Oumuamua. So my point is, we already found an artificial object that we produced. The question is, who produced Oumuamua? This plays into other questions. This is something I worry about. I interview a lot of scientists, and I talk to a lot of study scientists and things like that. And there have been strange signals over the years that seem to have been of technological origin, the WOW signal being the, the best-known example. Do you think that in the state of science today, 
if we saw a techno signature, no matter what it is, whether it was Umuma or uh, UAP or a radio signal, do you think that science as a whole, even if we saw it, we would miss it and we would just dismiss it? No, if we collect the good enough data, it would not be possible to miss it because the analogy I draw is with a, a caveman fa- fa- finding a cell phone. The caveman will initially say that the cell phone is just a rock of a type that we've never seen before. Just like astronomer said about Oumuamua, that it's a rock of a type we've never seen before. It may be a hydrogen iceberg, a nitrogen iceberg, or a dust bunny. Okay? Now, if the caveman would throw the rock away, or the cell phone away, uh, that would be the end of the story. And that would be uh, similar to, the, to us saying... It must be natural, forget about it, business as usual. But if the caveman would be curious and will press a button on the cell phone and record his voice, press another button and record his image, then he would realize that it's not a rock, it's something else. And so the moral of this story is that when you get enough evidence, nobody would be able to dispute it. So for example, Osiris Rex, landed on the asteroid Bennu. That was a space mission that got a very high-resolution image of Bennu, and we could see that it's a rock. And it actually took a sample from the surface that we will bring back to Earth in 2023. And at that level, if you land on an object, you could press buttons on it. You can tell that it has screws and bolts rather than It's a piece of hydrogen iceberg or nitrogen iceberg. It should be possible to tell. And whoever would deny such scientific evidence would not be a reasonable person. So my point is we can collect data that will imply the nature of unidentified objects beyond a reasonable doubt. We are in the 21st century. Some of us are behaving as if we are in the Middle Ages. That, you know, it's just a matter of our preconception. And, for example, there was a paper published in Nature Astronomy magazine by a philosopher half a year ago claiming that Oumuamua must be natural based on philosophical reasoning. And I thought to myself, haven't we learned something over the past four centuries since the days of Galileo when philosophers knew that the sun moves around the earth And they didn't need to look through Galileo's telescope. And then, obviously, they were proven wrong because nowadays we plan space missions based on the notion that the Earth moves around the sun. So these philosophers are not remembered anymore. They're completely irrelevant. If we have repeated that experience today, they would have canceled Galileo on social media. They would have ridiculed him. But reality doesn't care about social media. It is whatever it is. You know, the earth didn't stop moving around the sun just because these philosophers made that statement. And the point is, whether we have neighbors or not will not depend on how much this idea is liked on social media and whether bloggers ridicule it or not. That's completely irrelevant. What we need to do <laughs> is... Try to collect the evidence. Look out through the windows rather than assuming that we know the answer in advance. You know, one thing I, one of the most vivid memories I have from my childhood was sitting at dinner 
and asking a difficult question. And then the adults in the room would pretend that they know the answer to it. And they would pretend that they have much greater knowledge than they actually have. And that was obvious to me. That was the good experience. The bad experience was when the adults in the room would dismiss the question and say, this is ridiculous. We don't want even to discuss it. And the reason they would do that is because they didn't know the answer. And for the same reason, when you find scientists ridiculing this discussion about an artificial origin for Oumuamua or objects like it, you know, that is driven by the same reason that they want to appear as experts, that their body of knowledge, everything they know already, should explain everything that we find in the future. So anything that looks unusual, that looks anomalous, bothers them. They don't want to discuss it. They don't want to deal with it because they want to demonstrate that they are experts, that they can understand anything that we find based on the knowledge from the past. And this way they can get honors, awards, recognition, if they were to admit that they are missing something important about reality, you know, they would lose some of their reputation. And so that's a natural tendency of so-called experts to behave like the adults in the room and say, this is a ridiculous question. We don't want even to discuss it. We need extraordinary evidence before we even engage in this discussion. But guess what? If you ridicule this question, you will never get that extraordinary evidence but that's, that serves their purpose because they can get honors, awards, and, you know, they live their life without being threatened by anomalies. That's not the way science should be done. If a kid sees that the emperor has no clothes, we should listen to the kid. And the emperor might not have any clothes. And so if we see anomalies in the sky, we should not be worried about our reputation as experts. We should say, wow, that's intriguing. That's exciting. Let's try to collect more evidence. That's exactly the nature of the Galileo project. So I refuse to surrender my curiosity from the time I was a kid because I had this experience in the dinner table. I don't care about the adults in the room. I just want to find the answer based on evidence. Event Horizon and my channel are now available as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube memberships. Early ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, and sleep-focused content. Sign up now by clicking the links below to your platform of choice.